Welcome to the Science of Beers podcast with me, Michael McGee. Talking science and drinking beers with researchers down at the pub. So join us with a brew and let's cheers to science. Welcome to the final episode of season three of the Science of Beers podcast. A season where we have collaborated with the Danish Institute for Advanced Study. The topic today is fat. Fat cells in particular. And to talk about that is none other than Professor Susanna Mandrup. She's the director of two centres at the University of Southern Denmark. The Centre of Excellence in Functional Genomics and Tissue Plasticity, or ATLAS. And the Centre for Adipocyte Signalling, or Adipocyne. She sits as Chair of Science at the Danish Institute for Advanced Study. And this is the first time we have been guested by an actual knight. Susanna was knighted by the Queen of Denmark a few years ago. So uh, that's pretty cool. And Susanna is uh, just a, 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 real, a real pleasure to talk to. She gave a, a live Science and Beers lecture about fat cells a few years ago. And she's uh, an excellent communicator of science and she loves to, to teach and to pass on her, her wealth of, of knowledge. So we're going to cover some of her topics today, including fat cells, the genetics of fat cells, epigenetics, and how, how fat cells communicate or talk to each other, other tissues, and the rest of the body. So it was a, a July day in Denmark, but it was uh, raining most of the day, but we still managed to uh, get out to the rooftop terrace of the Danish Institute for Advanced Study building. This is the last episode of the season. I'd really appreciate some feedback, what you thought, what could be improved, what you liked, what you didn't like about the, the season in particular. And you can do that anonymously at the link provided in the text below. I also link to, uh, to descriptions of, of Susanna's two, two uh, research groups. I am your host, Michael McGee. Cheers to science. Hi, Susanna. Hi, Mike. How's it going? It's going good. Excellent. I just got a beer. You just got a beer. Well, I have a beer as well. And uh, we're standing in the kitchen of the Danish Institute for Advanced Study. It's uh, three o'clock on a Friday. There's not much life about the place nope. right now. But we're also standing beside the rooftop, which is where we're going to go and enjoy these couple of beers. So let's grab our things. That's a good way to start the holidays. And head on it, exactly, it's July. You can tell that it's July because it's, uh, it's really cloudy. Susanna, you have a, a Christian Bale Ale yeah. IPA. I have a Autorisk IPA as well. Fruity music. Beautiful, mm. cloudy, fruity mm. IPAs. It's wonderful. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. That's, that tastes like Friday. Mm. How does yours taste? I, I, I really like it. Yeah. Mm. This is a, a special place because this season of the podcast, we've had a member of DS, the Danish Institute for Advanced Study, on every episode. But because of uh, the, the pandemic, we... We haven't been able to meet up for a few episodes, so some have been on Zoom, some have been elsewhere because the university has been closed. But this final episode of the podcast, we're actually in the DS building. That's fantastic. And the, the DS building is, is, is a relatively new building attached to the University of Southern Denmark. The building was maybe opened in 2019. Yeah. And uh, the, the idea for this building is, uh, again, it's attached to the rest of the university, but the people that are also a part of DS, they have an office over here. Mm -hmm. And the idea of DS is to get people together to, so that they can, they can talk. Yep. So people from different, uh, different areas of speciality, different departments. And this rooftop looks like an ideal place for it's that It's a to fantastic happen. place to meet. And also people who are not part of DS, they come here and uh, hang out. It's, uh, it's really nice. Uh, it's even nice a day when it's cloudy, but when the sun is shining, it's, it's a fantastic place to sit. 
So the, the Wednesday lectures, DS have a Wednesday lecture series and they normally take place downstairs in the mm -hmm. auditorium. So uh, they've been streamed from downstairs and uh, yeah, after the talks you generally have a reception up here on the rooftop. Yeah, either here or outside the auditorium. So in DS you're a chair of science, mm -hmm. but as well as that you're the director of the Centre of Excellence in Functional Genomics and Tissue Plasticity and also the Centre for Adipocyte Signaling. Yeah. They're also known as Atlas and Adipocyne. That's right. So, so these two groups, Susanna, can, can, you, can you describe what, uh, what kind of research you're looking into here at uh, Atlas and Adipocyne? So in Atlas, we are looking into tissue plasticity, so how our tissues are changing in response to obesity. And we are looking specifically at the liver, and the adipose tissue. And the reason for uh, choosing those tissues, besides those are tissues we are quite interested in understanding, is that obviously in obesity, it's the adipose tissue expand, that is expanding. And... Uh, um, adipose, I would understand that as fat. Fat, yeah. Fat tissue. And fat tissue is composed of large fat cells. We call them adipocytes that expand in size and number during obesity, but there are also multiple other changes in other cell types in the tissue occurring that has great impact on the function of the adipocyte. So we are trying to understand the changes in the fat cells and the other cells and what is happening between the cells when the tissue expands. So, so, so when, when, whenever I, I put on, on weight, uh, I, I see these pictures of, of uh, this, this fat in, inside people, but that's, that's not just fat, that's actually cells that are full of fat. Yes, yeah. And also when you see like a fat uh, rim on your piece of meat, it's, it's, not, just, um, it's not just fat molecules, uh -huh. it's actually a lot of cells that are mostly filled up with fat, but it's live cells. Yeah. So, so say, say I, I, I get liposuction yeah. and I get all these things sucked out, all yeah. the fats, I'm actually taking away my own cells. Yeah. So it's like taking a piece of myself away. Yeah, it is. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not there yet. No. Luckily. <laughs> no. <laughs> you have no reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Uh, okay, so, so what about uh, adipocyne then? So in uh, adipocyne, there we are um, a group of scientists who are very interested in focusing uh, on, on specifically on fat cells and on the signaling networks in fat cells and how these signaling networks are changing in obesity again and how these changes are affected by what kind of fat cell uh, we're looking at. So whether it's a fat cell on your bum or it's a fat cell on your belly or it's a fat cell um, somewhere else in your body so, so oh, there, there, are, there are different the, kinds of, different, of fat cells? Yeah, different depot, and we still know relatively little about how the signals are different in these different types of adipocytes or, in, or fat cells. And, and fat cells are also different between men and women. Okay. And, if, if, and that has consequences also for metabolic health of men, men and women. So we need to understand much more about these different signaling systems in, in fat cells from different depots, from different genders. And they're also affected by our genes. So what ge uh, genome variation uh, we're carrying. So we, we are um, trying to understand these signaling networks and how they are affected by these variations, so gender, depot, and, and, and genomic makeup. Um, First of all, I find it very interesting that there's different kinds of fat. You think fat, you think, okay, I've got fat, I've got fat in my, my butt, I've got fat, fat yeah. in my stomach, but there, there's different, different actual, actual kinds of cells yeah. there. Uh, I, I, I want to explore that, but you, you also mentioned signaling. Yeah. What, what do you mean by signaling in the fat cells? So signaling is, is a very broad term, but for example, it could be a molecule binding to a receptor on the surface of the cell. Around the cell is a cell membrane, and on the, in this membrane there are multiple receptors. So one of our me members of, of adipocyne uh, is very interested in a specific type of uh, receptors on the cell surface. 
and uh, he's looking at how these receptors are affected by different types of uh, um, metabolites, so different, um, it could be lipid metabolites, it could be um, various other substances, it could be hormones. So, so if, if I eat something, or say for example, drink this beer, whenever it, uh, it's processed in, in my body, is there some kind of signal that's coming to the fat cells after yeah. I eat? Yeah, so when you eat, then your insulin levels go up. Insulin is produced by the uh, beta cells in the pancreas. And that then signals to the fat cells to begin to take up more, more glucose and more, and more fat and to start storing some of the extra energy that you just consumed and save it for later. So that's one of the, the most prominent signals to, uh, to fat cells. But there are many other signals. Yeah. I, I, know, I know insulin related to, say, diabetes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's to do with the, uh, well, glucose in, in the bloodstream. Mm. So um, if you have a lot of glucose in the bloodstream, then insulin comes in and, and uh, gives a signal Remo to the body to remove that, yes. that glucose from the, from yeah. the bloodstream. And if you have diabetes, you don't have the insulin. Yeah. So if you have diabetes, then you don't have the signal going also to the fat cells that they should, that they should uh, soak up some of these, yeah, these yeah, fats. Yeah. And so what, what, what happens in obesity is that um, our fat cells, for reasons we don't completely understand, is they sort of get lazy. They don't take up as much uh, glucose and, and fatty acid anymore. They become insulin resistant, so they're less, less sensitive to insulin. And that means then, that can then mean that uh, uh, fat is stored elsewhere in the body, for example, more in the muscle, more in the liver, and then you can develop fatty liver. So one of the outcomes of, of obesity can be a lot of storage of lipids in, in the liver, so fatty liver. Okay. And so that's what some of my colleagues are working on in in, in Atlas. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. so so the, the whenever the fat cells get get lazy and a person is obese, the, the fat cells are already pretty full. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then so the fat is stored other yeah. parts of the body, which and, uh, has consequences. And then, um, our f depending on what. Yeah, who, who you are, what uh, genes you have, maybe how you live your life, how physically active you are, maybe the kind of diet you eat, you can get to that stage faster or, well, or later um, where your fat cells get lazy. Mm -hmm. So that is actually the really dangerous part in, in obesity. That's when your fat cells get lazy and don't do the job. Um, removing extra uh, fatty acids and glucose. So, okay, I'm, I'm picturing though if, if I'm if I'm really really big, uh, I might be eating too much, but also might be not doing enough exercise. So I am lazy, but my mm -hmm. cells are also becoming lazy. Yeah, that's you. Of course, they're not. <laughs> yeah, they're not lazy, but. but. <laughs> It's just a picture. I, yeah. I, I like well, well. I like these kind of these kind of pictures. Yeah. So, so it, whenever I eat, uh, the, the fat cells are, are, are filling up, and insulin is telling the fat cells to uh, to, to to absorb more 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 uh, more fat, more lipids. Is there anything? Is there any signal that's coming out of the fat cells? For, for example, if there's if they don't have a lot of storage of fat, can they can they send a signal out to say, hey? What's going on there? Yeah. Body, I need some more. Yeah. I need some more fat. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they do, and they're very uh, important endocrine, we call them uh, producers of some of the most important hormones we know of uh, well, leptin and adiponectin. So leptin is the hormone that sends satiety signals to the hypothalamus from fat cells and say, hey, the the fat stores are sufficiently full, decrease appetite, increase energy expenditure. And so that was a hormone that was discovered in the mid-90s. And until then, uh, fat cells were 
uh, mostly considered just a storage organ. But now we know that adipocytes are also really important um, producers of, of hormones and send hundreds of signals to the body about okay. the how full the stores are and how, what is uh, the condition of, this, of, of the fat cells is communicated to the rest of the body. And therefore, I, I, the health of the fat cells is enormously important for our well-being. So, so, so this leptin, that, that can tell my brain that I'm not, I shouldn't be hungry anymore? Yeah. Can, can, you, can you kind of hijack this system and, and produce more leptin so you don't get as, as hungry? Uh, so that's what researchers initially thought when this uh, hormone was discovered. Hey, we now we have um, the obesity pill. We can just give people some more leptin, and yeah. and then they they stop eating so much. But um, the fact is that most uh, overweight and obese people they just produce more leptin because they have more fat cells. So. First of all, it's not the only signal that's regulating satiety. There are many, many others. And second, uh, there's uh, probably some uh, desensitization to those high amounts of leptin. So, so uh, uh, obese people tend to be leptin resistant. Okay. So it didn't help. The only uh, patients that could help were the patients that didn't produce leptin and therefore were in extremely obese. So if they could get leptin, then they could um, get cured. Right, so, so it's the absence of leptin really that, that, that gives you those like insatiable, uh, the insatiable it, desire for, uh, yes. for something to eat. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So, mm -hmm. so, so fat cells, they, they get signals to say they should absorb, they send signals out to say they're full, so uh, I'm I'm really fascinated by this this kind of communication between these these what before we started talking I assumed to just be lumps of fat all over yeah. the body. So there's 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 really complicated communication going on there. Yeah. Can can we can we take things back? I want to ask you where does where do fat cells come from? Because if it's a cell, then it must have a nucleus. Then it must have the same DNA that's in every other cell in our body. Yes. Our eye cells, our muscle cells, our skin cells, they all have a nucleus with DNA in them. Mm -hmm. So how, how, does, how do these cells differentiate? How does the cell know to become a fat cell? Yeah, that's one thing that I've worked on for most of my career, actually. I think cellular differentiation is extremely interesting. So before I got into this more obesity research, that I, I did a lot of research on, on that. And, and fat cells develop from... Uh, stem cells, progenitor cells that are present in the um, adipose tissue. There are multiple populations of more fibroblastic, so long cells, and um, some subpopulations of these have a, a high potential to differentiate, to, to develop into fat cells when they get certain signals. So when you, for example, start to eat more, start to become more obese, then these cells receive signals, hey, um, start to ramp up your fat cell genes because we need you to store more fat. So these signals are super complex and we know a lot about the signals that drive fat cell differentiation in a Petri dish. So that has been started since the, yeah, the beginning of the, the, the 70s. So we know a lot about that, but we know very little about what's actually driving fat cell differentiation in vivo. So that's also a project we're very interested in studying in, in, in Atlas. So, so as, as an adult, you can, there are signals that, that tells your body to, to create more fat cells out of stem cells. Yeah. And so, so whenever you're a, a developing embryo, your is 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 an embryo a bunch of stem cells that that get some kind of signal to differentiate yeah so the, you the body yeah you know you start with one fertilized egg yeah and basically gets into one cell and that then divides two cells etc at one at some point then the cell starts to specialize and they get uh, locked into certain 
differentiation directions. And um, at some point during development, then some uh, cells also have get the potential to differentiate, differentiate into, into fat cells. And uh, in the human body, also when, um, after we're born and even in, in, in adults, we carry around with a lot of stem cells that have the potential to uh, turn into fat cells when needed. So there is both, there's a slow turnover of fat cells in our body. So some fats, big fat cells are uh, die and and uh, and then we need new fat cells. Um, but then also when we put on weight, we need these new fat cells to store the fat. Mm. So we have stem cells both in the developing embryo, but also in 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 the adult. Okay. Uh, I, I can can you where are they? Are they all over the body? These stem cells. So the stem cells that ha that can become fat cells are mostly within the uh, fat tissue, and, which is a kind of a connective tissue that are less well defined than a liver, for example, or the heart, which is a very well defined organ. But connective tissue is a type of tissue that sort of fill out mm -hmm. spaces in between. So we have fat at many many places. We have fat around the heart. We have heart fat uh, the intestines, we have fat in our knee, we have fat in our bone marrow, we have fat many, many places. So there are also, at these places, there are also stem cells that can, under the right conditions, develop into fat, new fat cells. I, I th by, from listening to you, I think fat's got a lot of bad press. Yeah, too much, <laughs> way too much. They're super important cells. We, 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 we need it. it it's, a, it it's, it's just as much a part of our body as, as any else. Mm -hmm. We need it for, for insulation, organ, organ cushioning, yeah. and regulating diet, metabolism. Yeah. yeah. And we get se severely ill if we, if we don't have fat. So there are people um, who suffer from lipodystrophy. So they can either not store fat at all or store limited amount of fat or store fat the wrong places and they actually get really severely ill. So you, you need fat cells. Where are the wrong places? So, so more around on the upper part of the body compared to the lower and the limbs. Yeah. yeah. Which is actually the, the, the healthier fat are um, in the lower part of our bodies. Yeah. On so the hips and, and buttocks, etc. In our DNA, then, is there a, a, a predisposition to having a fat problem, either too little fat or too much fat? Yeah, it looks like it. So some, some of the obesity is caused by predisposition. Some of it is, of course, also because um, of yeah, what we eat and how we live our lives. Can also be how how our parents lived, but we know less about that. So I, I, I do want to talk to you about, about that because I've heard a little bit about epigenetics. Yeah. And and how we we have our DNA. I'm going to try this myself here, but we have our DNA, and then we have markers. Or our DNA is uh, wrapped up in our cells because. Each, each cell has two meters of DNA and exactly. it needs to be uh, really compressed and wrapped up and not all of those not all of the code is uh, is expressed in every cell a lot of it uh, is silenced a lot mm. of it is uh, is shown to the cell so the cell can then take the code and turn it into proteins mm -hmm. or other functioning parts of the, the cell but it would be the epigenome these markers that, that sit on the code that tell the cell what it what it can see and what it cannot see. Is that, is that in, a... in part, yes. So what determines what is read by the cell is um, a group of proteins called transcription factors. And they are activated by these signals that we started to talk about previously that get some signals, for example, from the insulin receptor or signals from um, other 
T-protein coupled receptors since the cyclic EMP signal. Yeah, different types of receptors um, then pass signals on to uh, transcription factors that then go to certain places in the genome and bind to DNA in a very highly specific manner. And they then switch on and off genes. And then they also recruit uh, other proteins that modify um, the DNA and modify the uh, proteins that are associated with the, D with the DNA. So the DNA gets more or less accessible for being read. Mm -hmm. And so you can say that this, these epigenetic marks are um, sort of c codes that are put on the DNA that helps the cell remember what signals it, it received and then what genes should be turned on, switched on in that cell. So uh, it, it may not be, the, 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 it's not the direct drivers, the epigenetic marks are not the direct direct drivers of whether genes are on and off, but it's a sort of a mechanism that helps the cell remember what genes should be on and off. And these, these, um, this memory in the cell can then be, is then passed on from uh, one cell to the daughter cell. So when the cell divides, mm -hmm. it also sends those signals for epigenomic memory onto the daughter cells. And there, as part of this epigenomic memory, is, are also small pieces of RNA, uh, non-coding RNAs, they also contribute to this memory. And it's, it's some, something that's um, um, very complicated to actually grasp what all this memory in a cell is. So there's this balance between very, a, a very dynamic cell that can rapidly change which genes should be on and off, and then a, a memory that, that you know, tends to keep the cell in a certain state. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's been shown that memory about how obese a, per, a, 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 a person is can be passed on through uh, the sperm or perhaps the egg of a um, to to the next generation. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, so so the 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 DNA code has experienced all these signals to say, okay, there, we have a lot of fat in our evolutionary history. It's a good thing to have mm. a lot of fat, so we have access to a lot of a lot of food. Let's, yeah. Imagine that. And then, so these epigenetic markers are saying, express or, or um, you know, translate the genes that code for uh, more fat storage mm. or more fat cells. And that's, that's actually going into a single sperm or a single egg, yeah. the, the, those instructions. Yeah. And, so, and, and so then, so if, you, if, you, if, you're, um, if, you're, if your parents had a, a, a metabolism, problem, say mm. obesity, there is a chance that it could be passed on to them. Yeah. So we don't know much about this in yeah. humans, I should stress, but we have, uh, people have done, and it's, it's not my research field, but other people have done um, investigations on mice and have seen that it's not only from, from the mother and, and the eggs that carry a lot more signals on of that type of signal. So it's also from, it's also from the, the sperm from the father yeah. that this memory is passed on. Um, and what, how, how big a role it plays in the human population is, is, is unclear. If it's in the egg, so the, the, the eggs, the egg that made my mother was in her mother. So, so does it go back then? It, it could go back. It, it could go back. Yes. Through generations. Yes, it can. Yeah, that's right. That's very interesting. It is, and scary yeah. at the same time because we don't know, you know, how we live our lives today could 
actually affect our grandchildren. Wow. Yeah. And also how, how the world has changed, how the countries that we live in has changed in two generations. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Even but, in 10 years, 20 years, it's been yeah. quite extraordinary. But all the access to diet has, has changed significantly since, you know, uh, my grandparents' time. Yeah. So that's... Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's mind-blowing. At the same time, I think it's important to remember that the, the, um, the, the main regulator of how uh, obese or overweight you get, that's how you live your life. So you're still in, mostly in control yourself. Yeah. yeah. And then your genes, of course, if, if you have a really strong dis uh, predisposition. Uh, it, it, it's... It's never, it's never uh, as as black and white. There's a gene for this, or no. there, there's a predisposition. Yeah. You, you, but it, it's your own environment and your own yeah. lifestyle choices so, that dictate yeah. so whether those things are expressed. If you're lacking leptin, we talked about leptin. Before, yeah. Then it's really, really tough not to get obese <laughs> because you you have such a crave for food all the time. Yeah. Yeah. If you're lacking either leptin or the leptin res uh, receptor, then you get morbidly obese. And, and so, so yeah, the, the plot thickens, so the fat cells extend, send out this leptin, but then it's the leptin receptors in the brain that need yeah. to be there to receive these yeah. signals. Yes. So, so everything is connected in, in our bodies. Yes. Every, every cell is like mostly talking to its neighbors, but it's definitely also <laughs> talking some way or the other, talking to the rest of the body. I really like the, that the analogy with the talking, you know, the, the communication between these cells. Yeah. And they, they talk in They're talking all the, all the time. Never stop. <laughs> okay, how's your day going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and yeah, we, we have trillions of, of, of cells in our, our bodies, yeah. and that's only human cells. And we have our, our microbiome exactly. as well. Exactly, yeah. And um, there's, it's very controversial, but I, a lot of indications um, are now telling us that, that the microbiome is hugely important for, uh, for our health as well. And, and also for whether we become obese or not. Yeah, so, so, so I, I'm, I'm probably a little skeptical to, to some of these uh, results. And, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, th there's a lot of evidence that, the, that you can actually, with the microbiome of a person, affect how uh, the met metabolic health is. And so the microbiome in your gut, what you eat should play a, a role with the microbiome makeup exactly. of your gut. Yeah. Yeah. So the microbiome is not just a constant. It's, as you say, influenced by the environment and, and what you eat. If you're eating just meat, it's going to be very different than if you're eating vegetables. Yes. Yes. Wow. And there's a whole microcosmos down there with lots of uh, bacteria species that affect each other and also talking to each other all the time. And, and they're, they're, they're throwing these biochemical signals all over the place and they, they, yeah. they're, they're being absorbed by our body yeah. and yeah. having some effect. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, uh, we, we've had a lot of uh, different topics this season of the podcast, including the history of the universe and uh, economic history of Denmark, but, but now we're talking about our, our, our own bodies, mm -hmm. and it, it's interesting to know, okay, we have people like you that are, that are battling on the frontiers of science to try to figure it out, but, but a lot of us don't know the, the very functioning of our own bodies because mm -hmm. it's so complicated. Yeah. Because the only way you can, you can really understand it is to really zone in yeah. right down to the molecular level. And I think even us who are working on it, we don't understand it. So... We, we, we don't understand the entire complexity. We, 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 it's difficult to grasp. I think it's a little bit like looking out in the universe. We can see, we, 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 we can do research in it, but do we really understand it? I, I, um, it's, it's, it's super complex. Yeah, and, and out into the universe, you, know, the, you, you can see the stars, but the closer you look, you, the closer you zoom in, the closer it doesn't really make any sense, the whole, the whole quantum, mm. quantum world. We've built technology based on quantum physics, yeah. but it's, uh, quantum physics is based on things that really don't yeah. make any sense to our mm. rationality. 
<laughs> there's no such thing as empty space. There's things popping in and out of no. existence all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you like this podcast, please help us spread the word, recommend it to a friend, give us a like on social media, leave a review in whatever you're using to listen to the podcast. One of the things I'm really excited about is trying to begin to map all this communication between cells because we've been studying cells in culture. We've isolated specific cell population, cultured them in a petri dish uh, with certain media. We stimulated uh, what they do, whether they differentiate and whether they grow or not grow. Um, it's all very artificial. And, and we, know, we learn a lot from this. We learn about um, um, different transcription factors, these proteins that switch on and off genes, and we, we can learn about um, signaling pathways, but we don't really know what a cell in our body, uh, how, that, uh, how that cell is functioning. And so to begin to understand that in the context of the tissue and begin to understand how that cell is receiving signals from its neighboring cells, from hormones, uh, um, how that cell is receiving signals uh, from the food we eat, from uh, from the stress we expose ourselves to, yeah, the chemicals in the environment. Uh, we we don't really know. So n now we have technologies where we can study one cell at a time, and we can study a lot of cells one at a time with these single-cell technologies. And this is a um, huge revolution in the field that we can now do that, and that means that we can begin to get a much better grasp of how these complex tissues are functioning. Um, and then if we combine that with technologies where we can also visually look at cells. So see with by imaging uh, what a cell over here is doing and how that is might be affecting a cell over here and how it's affecting the neighboring cells um, uh, that maybe suddenly start to differentiate into an adipocytes or start to undergo cell death in response to signal I think this is uh, extremely interesting and important in order to understand uh, human health. And so I think this is, yeah, this is a new um, frontier in science to combine our technologies with um, bioimaging and understand how cells are acting in time and space. Cells in an actual body? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, uh, I can't even picture the kind of technology that that, that mm. would entail. Yeah. How, how do you do that? So, yeah, so we, um, we cannot do it in, in a live body, but we can take out the tissue and then see what just happened. And then we can, see, then we can use computational technologies to infer what is happening right now at the time when we took out uh, this uh, biopsy, this tissue. Are, are you are you able to to uh, make computer models for how uh, tissues would would react to, to certain stimuli, to certain chemicals, to mm. certain foods? Yeah. In, in in the hope to 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 one day make a, a model of a of a body. Yeah. And then you can, you know. Yeah give the, the body some kind of drug, chemical, food, and then, and then model how that's going to yeah. send signals to the Yeah, so that's what scientists are hoping. So I'm part that's of the dream, a, is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so I'm part of um, an initiative called the Human Cell Atlas uh, with, that has the aim to map all cells in the human body, um, their localization, so in 3D, and also 
map how these cells are affected by disease mm -hmm. um, and how they're uh, developing so during human development uh, so uh, in in that initiative researchers are also, also using model organisms like the mice and, and mapping things because so therefore for ethical reasons you can do many many more things in, 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 a, in a mouse of course um, and some of the things that are learned from the mouse can then be applied to the much fewer samples one can obtain from, from humans but I think in the next 10 years we're going to learn so much from this way of looking at the human body uh, at, a, at a per cell level. So some lab experiments, some testing, and then feeding that into the computer model and then keep testing the computer, computer model. Yeah, and then uh, validating what, uh -huh. what you think you see, etc. Yeah. yeah. So then we will get even closer to understanding how our very own bodies work. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to just touch on something you said, because you talked about stress. Mm -hmm. So how would stress relate to fat or, or obesity or metabolism problems? Yeah, so it's known that if, we're, if we um, have a lot of night shifts and, and, and uh, the stress associated with night shift, then that we actually put on more weight. So, uh, so it's definitely affecting uh, also our, our metabolic health. No. So it, it affects the so if we're messing with our our clock, so our diurnal clock, so our bodies have a diurnal clock that's centrally organized and then it's affecting every cell sort mm -hmm. of has a clock that rotates in, in circadian manner. Yeah. And um and uh, that's really affecting the uh, it's it's affecting and it's um, also regulating metabolism. Yeah. So, so, so we need. To so we, there's a cross, we, a close interplay between this um, diurnal clock and our our metabolism. We need our sleep. We need our sleep, yeah. Or else we get fat. Mm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, Susanna, you're you're a chair of science at DS. You're the director of two groups. You've also been knighted by the Queen of Denmark. Mm. You're the first knight that we've had on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How was it to be to be knighted? Uh, that was an awesome honor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I'm very honored. You were knighted for your contribute contribution to to science. So, uh, how did you get into science in the first place? So, I guess I've always been a very curious person, and uh, I liked. I was intrigued by nature, by life. And um, I then, when I w was in high school, I, I um, got my hands on a book about DNA, and I was really intrigued by it and thought, oh, wow, I need to understand more about DNA and how that's uh, regulating our bodies. Um, uh, and, and then I found this education at Odense University, as it was called, SDU was called then, and um, and that was an education that was directed, it was experimentally oriented, and it was directed towards research, so I thought, let's try that. And um, yeah, I've, I've never really lost this love for understanding how DNA is regulated. I think that's the most, um, DNA is the most intriguing molecule in the cell. Yeah, it, and that, it is that you can, these two meters of DNA, as you mentioned before, that, that, that basically all the information to, to generate a, a human is embedded in that. And um, that it's this, this interplay between this long piece of DNA and all the different molecules in the cell that create life. If you didn't have the cell, it would just be a piece, a dead piece, a molecule. It would be nothing but just a molecule. Mm -hmm. But the interaction with 
the cellular environment creates life. So it's contained in this bag that a cell is, mm -hmm. and uh, lots of molecules bumping into the, um, the DNA all the time, and is creating something that can propagate itself and uh, replicate and, and live and do crazy things as science. D DNA codes for us, it, co cause, it, it codes for the birds that are singing over there, the, the, the leaf cells over there. It's, uh, even if uh, it codes for things that we consider bad, such as uh, more stress or mm. more fat, the DNA code still lives on. Yeah. Is, is, it, is the purpose of life to just keep passing the code on? That, that could be a philosophy. That could be a <laughs> philosophy. Um, but um, that's a really a big question, <laughs> what the purpose of life is. Um, but life is certainly, the DNA is good at propagating itself. Uh, you, can, you have the example of a virus that can, that's basically either a piece of DNA or a piece of RNA, and it gets into ourselves and uh, make a coup there and then takes over the regulation of the cell to produce, to change the life of the cell and produce more viruses. Mm -hmm. So you can ask, is this piece of RNA and DNA that are viruses, um, and there's a little more than that is also encapsulated, uh, but and a few proteins and lipids, but it's basically just this one piece. Is that alive? Is that life? Mm -hmm. It's really at the borderline, right, between life. So, yeah, for, from, from our, our perspective, is it, is it alive or not? It, yeah. Uh, is coronavirus a, a life? life? Well, we're, we're certainly all very much aware <laughs> of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's uh, it lives as a as a gene and as a meme. <laughs> I remember I, I asked my biology teacher in when I was eighth grade, I think. So where I learned about this virus, so I asked him whether it was uh, life, alive, and um, that's a thing I'm still thinking about whether it's life or not. The the virus just. It, it passes its code on to the next generation, as we do. Yeah. Or else the, the code dies out. So, but uh, but we can sure have a hell of a good time while, while we're here. Get yeah. fat, eat, drink beer, eat crisps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then yeah, and then we can try to get as much, um, do as much um, um, good things for the world while we're here. I guess mm -hmm. that's what life is about. To be altruistic to our, mm. our fellow inhabitants yeah. of this yeah. spaceship we call Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cheers to that. Susanna. Cheers. Cheers to that. <laughs> Susanna, it, it's, it's uh, super awesome you're looking into how our bodies work, the importance of fat cells, and how they communicate and how information is passed down through the generations. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I'm super fascinated by it. Um, I love to work in science. I think this um, understanding how the mechanisms of how our bodies are functioning, that's uh, so intriguing. Um, perhaps when I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, back at my career and when you know, when I retire at one point, when I when I look at my life, I will think of also um, the people who went through my lab and who I influenced and uh, helped uh, train to be good scientists. And I think um, I'm I'm super proud of a lot of the people who went through my lab. They've um, and, and to to see them to see them become great scientists. And that's probably the, the most important footprint that I, I leave behind when I retire at some point.
it, it, it's passing on the knowledge and, and yeah. helping people. And the excitement and the excitement uh, to make new discoveries, uh, the the interest in doing rigorous science, good science that uh, that are uh, and, and collaborative science. So how to work with science, how to communicate science. That's um, some of the things I'm really um, that I'm, I'm that's really important for me to pass on. Just like the, the genes may pass on information for you know how a fat cell becomes a fat cell or or the very functioning of the body. As humans, we have the ability to pass on what we've learned to other other people, and then yeah. therefore our knowledge and our effect on the world spreads out over a greater area and, and lives on. Yeah. That's also fascinating. Absolutely. And um, very important for me. Susanna, thanks very much for joining me. It was fun. Podcast. It was fun. Thanks for the beer. Cheers. Cheers. There you have it. The final episode of season three of the Science and Beers podcast with none other than Professor Susanna Mandrup. Really hope you enjoyed the season. If that was your first episode, go back and listen to some more. Many topics are covered from literature in the Byzantine Empire to the economic history of Denmark, marine ecology of the Antarctic Go have a look on the website and give it a listen. And if you have listened to a couple of episodes, I would really love your feedback. I have left a link to the feedback uh, link in the uh, in the comments where you can give me your thoughts about the podcast anonymously. Again, if you like that podcast, if you uh, have learned something from it, please help us spread the word, recommend it to a friend, give it a like, give it a share, give it a review on whatever you're using to listen to the podcast. I've had a, an absolute blast meeting up with members of the Danish Institute for Advanced Study and talking about their areas of expertise this, this season. It is summertime now. I'm going to go back to Ireland in a couple of days to see my family. We're all vaccinated, which is great. And I'll be there for a few weeks before coming back to Denmark. And then in September, I I hope to pick up this podcast again so we can continue. And also, if you're listening in Onza, I I think we're going to have some, some live science and beers events again. If all goes to plan. Thanks so much for listening into this podcast and have a great summer and cheers to science.